Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Let me start here. Don't judge me in the next few moments. You won't because you're Christians, right? Yeah, right. At, at 16, Sam felt the Lord calling him. So he joined the local monastery. He took the vows of celibacy, poverty and obedience. For the next 50 years, his job was to make Bibles, printing them and binding them by hand. After 50 years of devotion, he was ready to retire. So the head monk organised a dinner for Sam the next evening. As they talked about the dinner, the head monk asked if at any time Brother Sam had any doubts about what he had did with the past 50 years of his life. Brother Sam replied, well, I've been printing Bibles for the past 50 years and I've always wondered if we are producing the exact copy of the good book. The head monk replies, well, we have the original copy in the vaults downstairs that we check with to catch any mistakes. I'll take you down and you can have a look at it for yourself if you like. They go downstairs and Brother Sam starts to read the first ever edition of the Bible. He doesn't know, he doesn't show up for supper the supper that night or breakfast the next day. When his banquet is about to start, he still hasn't come up. So the head monk goes down to get him. He sees Brother Sam sitting in a chair, holding his head and crying uncontrollably. Brother Sam calls the head monk, what's the matter? Brother Sam looks up with tears streaming from his eyes and cries out, celebrate. The word was celebrate. Oh, come on, people. Help me out a little bit. Help me out a little bit. I don't have to go into a basic definition of celibacy, do I? Go ahead, have a laugh. But I want you to learn a lesson from that opening humour, which may have not worked after all that. When we read our Bibles today, Generally speaking, we read English translations of the original text throughout Scripture. And along the way, some of the core concepts that God intended for us can be missed or misused. And I want to talk to you today about the mandate of worship, that God has called us to worship. And some people think they've had worship today because we sung some songs, but I want to say to you today that That is not the mandate of worship. That is not the fulfilment of worship. It's part of it. And I would say a small part, but the worship that God has called us to runs much deeper and lasts throughout the week. And we need to have a clear understanding of it. Psalm 100 verse one says, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Now, I think the song service part of our gathering should be joyful. I also think it should be loud. If you don't think it should be joyful and loud, I can introduce you to many places where you can go where it's not joyful and it's not loud. And that's okay if that's your deal. But the reality is that the Bible says that when we come before God to sing songs and to gather and celebrate, that we should do it with vocal, loud shouts of joy. Verse two says, worship the Lord with gladness. And I believe that the Scripts behind me here And can I say to you that that word on the second verse has been mistranslated, that the word worship does not show up in that moment. The original word that shows up is 
this word havad. I'm pretty sure it's Hebrew and I'm a little bit intimidated because one of my most respected Bible teachers and friends is sitting on the front row this morning. Would you welcome my friend Ian, last time with us before he relocates to the US of A. Uh, But he says, worship the Lord with gladness, come before Him singing with joy. Now, the original word correctly translated should say serve. Can you say serve? I say worship, you say serve. Worship. Worship, that works. The meaning of that original word, avad, means to serve, to work for the Lord, to labour, to do work for another, to make make oneself a servant, to be worked, to compel to labour. The last definition gets me, to serve with Levitical service. In other words, to serve in a pastoral capacity the Lord. Not singing songs, clapping hands or lifting them in order to fulfil the mandate of worship. Nothing wrong with those things at all. But it wasn't what the original text was calling us to do. I want you to think about that as we go to this next portion out of the book of Jeremiah because it was when I was studying this portion that I wanted to speak on today that I got tripped up because I loved the text where it says that God will put in us a heart of worship. I loved it. I thought, oh gosh, as a preacher, I thought, I got it. But then I had to do my due diligence and go to the original text and I went, uh-oh, no, it's not there. Oh, maybe I could just gloss over it and just still use it. Uh-oh, can't do that. So come with me to this portion of text in Jeremiah chapter 32. And I love this because... There's some doomsday preachers around at this time and they're saying all types of things. I don't know if you've heard some out there today that are saying about all the bad things God is going to do to His church because they've been so bad and they've been so naughty. I go, what? What a surprise. We've been there. We've been naughty. Really? Terrible. Not making light of it. But God knows how to deal with His children and He does not deal with His children how humans deal with their children. He deals with them as a loving father. Come with me, verse 36. Now I want to say something more about this city. You have been saying it will fall to the king of Babylon through war, famine and disease. Interesting, don't you think? Through war, famine and disease. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I will certainly bring my people back again from all the countries where I will scatter them in my fury. I will bring them back to this very city and let them live in peace and safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose. And I will give them one heart and one purpose. I wanna tell you what God says He wants to do at this time is bring us back together with one heart and one purpose to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. God wants to bring us together, not just for our good, but for the good of our children and our children's children. We're not playing games here in what we do in worship, in giving God all of our lives. And He says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me. 
I'll put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. I will find joy doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. I I come with a good word this morning. God finds joy in doing good for you. You just need to shut out the voices of everyone else that wants to say anything else. And if you think I'm giving you a licence to sin, you've just misinterpreted what I've said because the last time I checked, you did not need a licence to sin. Nobody does. It doesn't change the character of God that it is His desire to keep doing good things for you. My Bible tells me surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, verse 40 of that portion of Scripture, if you go and have a look at it from the nearly inspired version. I mean, the New International Version of the Bible, it reads like this, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them and I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. In that portion of Scripture, the word worship's not there. But this, this, this reverence towards God is that we're not the kind of people that are going to take God lightly. We're not going to the type of people that are going to use the grace of God so that we can have this licence to do whatever we want, but we're going to have this authenticity of faith in our hearts that will keep us where we need to be. So clarifying the mandate of worship, actually, I wanted to talk to you about the mandate of worship today. In the original culture and text of the Hebrew language, serving meant worship and worship meant serving the Lord. The book of Psalms is that collection of prayers and songs that records the communication between God and people. That's why everywhere you go in in the Scriptures, the word worship, is used in in conjunction with the word serve. They're used synonymously. They are never used as standalone concepts. I like to picture it like me singing songs to God in worship as this constant connection of source and supply of motivation and strength that I need from God. So I'm gonna come into land pretty quickly today and I just wanted to talk about the why of worship, the where of worship, the who of worship, the how of worship, the what of worship, because I think it's been a little bit confused over the last couple of decades. And you may disagree with me, but let's just have a look at what the Bible says of why we worship, number one. Why do we worship? Why do we sing songs and serve God with our entire lives? You know, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy after fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, He was tempted by the devil and the devil tried to trip him up. you got to understand today that the enemy is out there trying to trip you up in your worship of God, in your serving of God. And Jesus pulled him up and said, the Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. 
See how the word worship and serve are used together? But incidentally, that word worship right there that was used in verse 8, it literally means to kiss the hand, to kneel before and touch the ground with the forehead in homage. It just means to lay down your life. It means to love God, adore God. But then Jesus said, you must worship the Lord and serve only Him. We worship, why do we worship? Because Jesus mandated it. He said, you must worship the Lord your God and serve Him. It's interesting when you ask the question of where you should worship, because in today's world, I guess we kind of can begin to think that you can do it anywhere. You've heard that common, oh, it does tick me off just a little to hear people so shallowly say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that is true. But then you don't have to go to a football club to be a footballer. Someone help me. Where you worship is outlined in Scripture. In in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 4, it says, Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan people worship their gods. (laughs) At this pub this week, that pub next week. Hello, somebody. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship He Himself chooses from all the tribes, the place where His name is will be honoured. I think even in our New Testament expression of faith, there is a place of worship for you. And I'm not for one minute suggesting that Awakened City is the only place for you. If you're searching right now, you've got to go to the place where the Lord shows you. You, You've got to go to the place where His Name is honoured and lifted up. And it may not be this place and that's okay. But if you are called to this place because that's where He said, if you're called to this place because that's where His Name is being honoured, then that is the place for you. There is a house for you to worship in and God wants that spirit of worship to dwell in your hearts. I think there's a place for you to worship and out of our hearts, we are called to worship Him. When should you worship the Lord? I, I did get into a Bible discussion with a few people one day on this because I, I discovered some people of different brand of Christianity that they found that the day of worship should be a Saturday. And I love those people. And I could tell from conversations with them that they were saved by grace and they loved the Lord. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe we got it wrong because we're not doing it on the right day. And we got into this discussion and I found these portions of Scripture where it says on the first day of the week in Acts 20, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching them. And I went into this whole study and discovered how it shifted at that time of the foundation of the church from a, from a Saturday to a Sunday. And they did that for a specific reason to shift some mindsets, but also because the traditional facilities were all filled up on the Saturday. Just practical, you know, like they're full, we can't get in. The, the mixer down there or whatever. So we'll have it on the Sunday because it's free. I'm going to loosen up a little bit. I did say that. (laughs) But you know what the reality reality of it all is? Because you can find another reference in 1 Corinthians 16 on that. The reality is this. We're called to worship God every day of our life. 
And, and what we do on a Sunday is a gathering of like-minded people and, and we are called by God to gather in a place of worship that's public with like-minded believers. We're definitely called to do that. And the rhythm is weekly because that's the culture. Amen. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always, always be ready to explain it. We are the kind of church that's ready. We're the kind of people that's ready always to explain why we believe. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? Who are we called to worship? We're called to worship the one true God. He said in Exodus 20 verse 3 that we must not have any other God but Him. We don't have Jesus add-ons. We're not adding Christianity to our social portfolio. Hello, somebody. We worship the one true God, creator of heaven and earth, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We believe in God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We don't worship the Holy Spirit. We worship God the Father. Hello, somebody. Who do we worship? We worship Jesus with passion, with purpose. The who, the how. Romans 12 and verse 11. And I think this is most important for us during this season because if that last season has done anything, has tried to do anything to us as Worshippers, I think, is it's tried to take the joy and the passion out of serving God. Romans 12 and verse 11 says, never be lazy. There's a good hint. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. With passion, with purpose. I'm going to go on the divert. I'm going to do the pastor's thing. I want to call upon those that... Uh, like my wife called last weekend, the hardcore Christians, the ones that you're going to show up to church morning and night if church is open morning and night. Can I just speak to the hardcore Christians out there? Can I, can I speak to those that want to be hardcore? It's time. It's time to get back to that place where you are serving the Lord enthusiastically in the house of God, from your heart to others, to be serving God passionately, enthusiastically. It is a joy to serve the Lord, even when you're walking through the mud, even when you're in deep weedies, when the poo is hitting the fan. There you go. I said it for those of you online that can handle it. When the stuff is hitting the fan, it is still a joy to serve the Lord. One day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand anywhere else. Hello, somebody. You, you, got, you got to just continue to hold on to that. Psalm 100 again, I've got to go back there. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him. Singing with joy. We looked at the how, but what about the what? What do we need in worship? Just like in the song service Sunday morning, the Bible says, come with praise, come with joy, right? You've got to come with something in worship. Otherwise, it's what the Bible calls empty-handed worship. 
Otherwise, it's what the Bible calls serving me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. It's a connection that we make. But it's really interesting in the Old Testament, men, can I speak to men this morning? Are there any men in the house? How good was the All Blacks score, by the way? No, anyway. Uh, in, in Old Testament, the men were commanded to come to the tabernacle, which was the public place of worship, at least three times a year. Men were commanded to come <laughs> to celebrate God's goodness. It's very interesting to note the specific instructions God gave to men in the Old Testament when they came to worship. It's found in Deuteronomy 16. It says, Each year every man in Israel must celebrate these three festivals, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of harvest and the festival of shelters. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place He chooses. There you see it again. But they must not appear before the Lord without a gift for Him. One translation says, they must not appear before the Lord empty-handed. All must give as they are able. I like that. All must give as they are able, according to the blessings given to them by the Lord your God. You know what, as a New Testament man, I may not be able to give every time I come to church, but I am always able to give from the blessing the Lord has given to me because that's how I connect my entire faith together in this life called worship. The mandate of worship for all men is to serve God with consecrated hearts, hearts that are set aside to the Lord, with reverent minds, Minds that are committed to the ongoing journey of developing a clear understanding of the concepts of the kingdom that we are called to. You've got to do your work. Don't take my preach, my teach today for granted, but take what you've heard, take from the notes that you have written. I can see you so diligently taking notes on your apps. Not. But you can. Not, but you can watch the replay and check him out, see if he's given you the truth. Search it for yourself. Bible calls us to work hard and give generously to the work of God. As men, we've got to give as we're able to, to the Lord from the substance of our labour. It's what we do to authenticate and consecrate this life of worship. Can I charge you men today to understand that it should not be your significant other leading the charge in the area of generosity in the house of the Lord? Can I charge you men that generosity starts at 11%? That that first portion is something that goes to God out of honour, out of worship. And generosity after that flows out. I just want to make it plain and clear what I believe the Bible makes plain and clear about worship. Worship is not this passive thing where I say, oh, I didn't really enjoy the songs today. They weren't for you. They weren't for you. I don't like the style. What if it's the style of heaven? Like I'm going to be really surprised if it's uh, rap when I get to heaven. 
but it could be, it could be. Like it, like it could be, my hearing will be good by the time I get there. My brain will be fast enough to keep up with the lyrics. Like it could be, it could be country and Western. Who knows? Who knows? But here's the deal. It's not for me. It's for Him. Songs from God, songs to God, songs about God. Goodness gracious me, please Jesus, help us get rid of all the songs about us that we call worship. Come on, someone help me this morning. And put our eyes back on Him. Help us to understand that worship is serving and serving is worship. If we want to see a revival, we've got to get away from this passive thing called worship and get into the active place of serving in the house, from our hearts, in our workplaces, with our lives. He's called us to worship. God, I pray that what has been spoken today would be heard through your heart, comprehended with a heavenly understanding. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.